Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode number three of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Kortz with the Dark Star Orchestra. I'm really glad you're joining me today and I hope you are safe and well. Well, the colder weather is here and that makes the driving gigs a little bit tougher. So it looks like I'm going to be home for a while, which means I can really focus on the podcast. So today, let's just get right to it. I'm very excited to have as my guest the excellent Kenny Withrow from Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. Kenny has always been a big fan of the Grateful Dead and has even spent some time playing uh, with the band Forgotten Space out of Dallas, Texas in recent years playing some Grateful Dead songs. Uh, New Bohemians has a lot of cool stuff happening right now and I'm really looking forward to uh, playing this interview for you. We also have Lee Owen of the band Born Cross-Eyed from Lexington, Kentucky here today to share his perspective on the scene in his neck of the woods. Before we get to our first segment, I would like to take a moment and ask you to check out our subscriber site at www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays and consider a monthly subscription for access to bonus content, including unedited interviews, video features, a look behind the scenes, links to related topics, some cool swag, and other ways to further engage with me and support the podcast www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays now it's time for the black music moment brought to you by the clean store branding and apparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs technology driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes the Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music on, and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Uh, this week we take a moment to honor Jimmy Reed. Reed was born in Mississippi in 1925 and he gained notoriety in the 50s. He recorded 20 albums from the late 50s to the early 70s, including Big Boss Man in 1961. The Rolling Stones have cited him as a major influence on their sound, as well as the Yardbirds, and, and like so many blues artists, he had a big influence on Pigpen and Rob McKernan. Uh, the Dead first performed it in July of 66, and it was a staple in the repertoire until Pigpen's last show in 72. They played it very sporadically in the 80s and once or twice in the 90s as well. Um, you'll hear the difference in this version. Uh, the Dead slowed it down just a bit from the original version, and added a little bit more swing to it. It's uh, almost a, 
a little bit more lilt, if you will. So here is Jimmy Reed and the original recording of Big Boss Man. Our next segment is the Sarno Music Solutions Breakdown with Brad Sarno, brought to you by Sarno Music Solutions, producing the finest musical instrument audio gear, designed and hand-built in St. Louis, Missouri since 2003, and Blue Jade Audio, St. Louis's primary audio mastering service since 1999. And uh, this week we are going to continue our discussion on miking techniques. Hey Brad, thanks for being here again this week. So we've spent a couple episodes talking about miking the drums, but what about um, what about guitars and 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 bass, I guess too. But you know, when you're dealing with a speaker like that, where would you put it to get an optimal sound? Uh, there's generally a sweet spot on most guitar speakers that's somewhere between the center of the speaker and the edge of the speaker. Uh, it depends on what type of guitar speaker it is. Um, the ones we often deal with are these JBLs, um, like Jerry used. And they have a big four-inch voice coil with the metal silver dust cap everyone recognizes. Right. And we uh, there's a little sweet spot about an inch outside of the metal dust cap where it's the right balance of paper and metal. If you get too much to the center, you get just too much of a harsh metallic sound. And if you get too far away from it, you lose that and it, you get kind of a dark papery sound. So there's a little sweet spot in there. How do you find that sweet spot? Just trial and error, moving the mic and listening out in the PA? Yeah, I think, you know, real-time trial and error. Like if uh, you can have headphones on uh, as an engineer, have the guitarist play, move the mic around as they're playing, and you just find it, and then you remember it, and that's your go-to. What about one that might be a little more complicated um, and is a big part of the Grateful Dead sound for sure, at least in the later years from, from the 80s on? And that's that's a Leslie speaker that's uh, hooked to a Hammond organ. You know that For those of you that don't know, the top speaker in a Leslie is actually rotating and it's turning. Bottom it, one too. Yeah, oh, the bottom one too, of course, yeah, at, var- at varying speeds as well. Right, um, right. How do you mic that to make it sound okay? I think so, very well-tested techniques there are to treat the bottom in mono with a good full-range microphone, 
uh, to get the low, the low mid range of the, the low rotor. Um, and you just mic the back of the cabinet, uh, fairly close to it. But on top, we, it sounds great if we can go stereo. So we put a mic in each corner, maybe on the backside where the, that top rotor is exposed. And, uh, then at the board, we pan those left and right and you get a fully stereo wide enveloping, uh, experience. You, it really translates to Leslie into a house nicely. Right on. I, for me personally, I love that Leslie sound. And when it's your first, you're capturing it in the rotating speaker and then you're putting it in on each side of the PA. So it's almost like it's rotating twice and coming at you. And it, just, it, it makes it a monster. It makes yeah. it a big, you know, 75 foot, uh, Leslie. Right. And, and, and if it's done right with, it can be so warm, even though it's, yeah. It's almost a shrill instrument sometimes, but it can just have this warmth to it that I really love. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy having you on and spending time with you, man. Thank you so much for some more insight today. I uh, look forward to having you back on another episode. Thanks, Rob. Oh, my pleasure, Brad. Take care. Yeah, you take care. Today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you by the Authenticity Academy offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going in, or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help. www.authenticity-academy.com My guest today is Lee Owen from Lexington, Kentucky. Lee is a monster guitar player and a super nice, super intelligent guy to boot. He's an incredibly versatile player, and he's got a lot of different projects going on. Uh, one of those is his Grateful Dead band, Born Cross-Eyed. Uh, my drumming partner, Dino English, plays with him quite often and just loves it. And uh, I really, really enjoyed doing this interview, and I hope you will enjoy listening to it. Okay, so I'm here with Lee Owen of Born Cross-Eyed in Lexington, Kentucky. How are you today, pal? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Rob. It is my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. So, born cross-eyed down in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, brief history. When did you all get together? We got together in the late fall of 1991. So, our first gig was December 11, 91. We call that our birthday. That's almost 30 years. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's wild. So, we're about to hit 29 here in a few weeks. And, of course, with the pandemic, we don't really get to celebrate our birthday gig this year. But uh, we'll just have to do a, a super huge one for the 30th next year. Have have you all been able to play at all during the pandemic? Not really. No. We uh our last gig was March 7th and we had several times that we tried to set up sort of live stream things and various things happened with various band members at different times and scheduling and whatever. We never were able to actually pull one off. So we haven't done anything in months. Before we before March 7th, you know, in in an, in a normal time, how often were you all playing? We were pretty much a once-a-month sort of band. Um, you know, we're sort of weekend warriors, and everybody has careers and families. And years ago, it was very difficult to, to set up gigs just to get the schedules. And so we sort of had a great idea and said, let's play the first Saturday of every month. Then all the wives, girlfriends, children, everybody know that sort of dad's out of the house on the first Saturday of the month. And we <laughs> have done that since about 2000, so literally 20 years of the first Saturday of the month. And there are a few exceptions here and there where we'll do, you know, some summertime festivals pop up or certain things happen and we'll have we'll have two or three gigs a month. Was was the idea for you guys all along? I mean, did you start out, we're going to play Grateful Dead tunes? Was that the idea when you formed? 
Yeah, I think it was. I mean, several of us had an original band, and we would play at my buddy's farm, a place called Terrapin Hill Farm here in Lexington, or in Harrodsburg, rather. But uh, we I've would play there, too. Songs. Yeah, y'all played out there several times, I think. But uh, we would play our originals, and people would sit in the grass and watch us, and then we would play like Scarlet Begonias, and everybody would stand up, and they'd start spinning and dancing and, you know, writhing around. And then we'd go back to one of our tunes, and they sit back down again. So this happened for a while that we sort of noticed that, wow, look how people go crazy when you play Grateful Dead tunes. That's really fun. And, you know, these were the days that Grateful Dead were still on the road. We were all going to dead shows and going on tour when that would come around. And it was like every college town has a Grateful Dead cover band. Lexington doesn't. We, we need to start one. So we did. And honestly, I always joke with people. I say, if you'd have told me in 1991 that I would still be doing this dead cover band in 2020, I'd have thought, oh, my God, what happened? But uh, it's the joy of my life. We have so much fun doing it. And we all do other musical things. You know, it's not our main path for any of us. But uh, we're still on it, man. We, you know, what a long, strange trip it is. <laughs> right. So if, if you know, you've been doing it that long and, and you saw a niche, you know, there wasn't that, that didn't exist in Lexington. Did a community come along with that? Do you have regulars who you see all the time, people that have been there all those years? Absolutely. Um, there are people that were at the first shows that still come see us all the time. And then, you know, just being in a college town, I sort of have looked at it for years that we basically have two year crowds. I mean, people go to college generally for four years, but the first two years are too young to get in the bars. So then right. the next two years they're coming to shows and they're getting in the bars and then they graduate and go back to wherever they came from on the large part. So you sort of get these two year rotations. So as we're now approaching 30 years, you know, we get a lot of little groups of people and then as that all adds up, yeah, we have people that started with us and we have people that are brand new to it. And uh, and there's a huge community of it. And it's sort of, you know, the Grateful Dead brings the community. We just sort of give them a place to gather now. You know, what, what is it, though? What do you think it is about this music that creates that? Oh, there's so much of it. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't even know where to start. You know, there's a huge spiritual component because people have substance things that they experiment with when we go see the Grateful Dead and people's minds are opened up a great deal. And so that can have a very powerful life-changing experience on some people. So there's that. And then once they do sort of open up, there's these lyrics that are literally speaking to you and offer so many life lessons and just, you know, I quote Grateful Dead lyrics and all sorts of things. People think that's what it was for me too, man. It was the lyrics more than anything. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, as far as a musical sense that, you know, we can play what we want. We can be ourselves. And because the Grateful Dead improvise so much and people are open to hearing these songs interpreted so many different ways that it's like, we can do the things we want to do. And it just, the community likes that. And, and so there are all these people that were all brought together by the dead. And I think they want to cling to it. You know, we've seen it all change since the dead and it went to widespread panic and fish and these other bands and Mo and, you know, it goes on and on and on. There's thousands of wonderful bands out there. But it's it's different. You know, a lot of these people that follow them around now and you see the parking lot scene and the tour scene. And I just think back to the dead shows like that was the real deal. And these people still are trying to get back to that. And whether it's a community that we gather or the way that those sort of tour things go on, so much of it was just seeded by the Grateful Dead. And it's fascinating to be a part of it. You know, I'm just riding the ride, really. You know, one of my quotes, gone are the days we stopped to decide where we should go. We just ride. And it's, uh, I don't know, man, we follow the community and there's so many hippies and, and, you know, and the hippies look like everything. We got the dirty wooks and we got the lawyers and the doctors who are deadheads. So it's, 
the full spectrum of humanity is represented in the Grateful Dead. And uh, it's just the weirdest social phenomena. It, it really is. You know, that's that was kind of, you, you nailed it on, on the head because that was the genesis of this segment, that it's everywhere. I mean, I know there's the cliche, we are everywhere. Yeah, but, but we are. Yeah. We are, and the bands are too. And there's, you know, there's Grateful Dead music you can go hear. Almost any night of the week and any town in the country. You know, there's people that take that whole Grateful Dead attitude and then don't play any dead, but they still sort of want to be free in the moment, operate, you know, with spontaneity. And it's, uh, it created a whole way of making music. You know, the Bill Graham quote was, it's not that the Grateful Dead are the best at what they do. They're the only ones who do what they do. But yeah. they sort of defined themselves by being the only ones who did it. But nowadays, we have lots of people who do what they do because a lot of people learned from that and how they were approaching things and realized you don't have to get on a stage and recreate your album that you've made and that's put you on the radio or whatever to give people that familiar thing that they want. You know, you can actually go out and totally reinterpret your catalog fresh and different, and that's okay, you know? And right. In our little Grateful Dead world, that's desired. If you go out and try to just do it the same way every night, they wouldn't keep coming back for you, you know? A hundred percent. That's a great, great insight. And I, I so appreciate you giving it to us. Um, I, I always enjoy being around you. We get to play together every once in a while. And uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time and giving us some of your particular insight into it today. Well, I appreciate you having me. I have so much respect for you guys in Dark Star, all as people, as musicians, and as deadheads, and the knowledge that you bring to it, and the way you guys have, have taken this to a whole new level. So, anyway, I'm just tickled that you asked me to talk about the Grateful Dead, and, and it's great fun. My pleasure. That's Lee Owen from Born Cross-Eyed in Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you, pal. Thank you. Take care. If you like what we are doing here today, please head over to our subscriber site at www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays and consider a monthly subscription for access to bonus content, a look behind the scenes, links to related topics, and other ways to engage with me and support the podcast. www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays. For our feature interview today, I am thrilled to have Kenny Withrow. Kenny has been the guitarist, and along with Edie Brickell, a songwriter in New Bohemians since 1985. When they first hit the charts in 1988 with uh, What I Am, you could just hear the Garcia influence in his tone and his playing. In the 35 years that Kenny's been with the band, he's also been a part of numerous other projects, and even spent some time playing dead tunes with uh, the band Forgotten Space out of Dallas, Texas. He and New Bohemians have some exciting things going on these days that you'll hear about, and I'm so grateful that he found some time to chat. Hey, Kenny, how are you doing today? Good, Rob, man. Thanks for asking me to do this. Man, it's it's my pleasure, really. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy. Um, how are you spending this pandemic? What are you doing to keep yourself busy? First of all, are you in Dallas? I'm not in Dallas any longer, actually. I've just moved down to Wimberley, Texas, and that's about an hour south of Austin, and uh, the band is kind of, uh, well, not kind of, the band has a, got some land and there's a barn and uh, a bunch of old 50 year olds <laughs> have a uh, jam barn and we've been playing every day. The band, uh, you know, basically is all in the area now. I was the last holdout in Dallas. So I've moved. Oh, how cool is that? It's nice, wow. man. I can't, I, you know, I can't, it, it's a, it's a blessing is what it is, man. It's amazing. Get to play with, with 
you know, my old, you know, we're all high school friends and, but we've been spread around the country. You know, Edie's been up in New York and half the band has been down in Austin. I've been up in Dallas and now we're all within 30 minutes of each other and playing every day. And so is, is Edie down there with you as well? Absolutely. Yeah. This is her. Oh man. I thought she was still in New York as well. That is, oh, that's so great. Good for you guys. Yeah. So you're finding plenty to keep yourself busy during the, during all of this. We are, we just, you know, we recorded a record last year. So that that's really helping that we have, you know, we have a record coming out. We released a single last week, a song called my power. And I I watched it. I loved it. I saw the video. It's what a great tune. Thank you, man. Very much. Yeah. And so, and then the album is going to come out in February. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 The album will come out. It's I'm glad they're going ahead and putting out singles because you know, that's, (laughs) <laughs> that's what's up anyway, you know, just a, just a song. You may as well just sort of stretch it out and have the record come out in February and, and, uh, you know, kind of enjoy it, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, how did you, were you guys recording this before the pandemic or did you do it remotely? But you've all been together. So you've been able to record live with each other, huh? No, we recorded this last year. We did last summer. We, so it was already, it was already recorded last year or kind of fallish late, late summer, fall. And uh, so it's kind of been in the can and uh, we've been, we were, we changed, we're changed. We ended up changing labels and, uh, and uh, so, yeah, so we ended up changing labels and that kind of was taking some months. So yeah, we already had it in the can. And uh, what we did during the pandemic is the first week of that, uh, Edie had the idea, you know, we like to improvise and write songs and she writes songs every day. We all do. But uh, to write songs for people. So people gave us requests, like requested for a friend, you know, such and such who's going through something, you know, the kids are driving crazy during the day or just whatever it happens <laughs> to be. And we, uh, but yeah, there's like a uh, hundred of them. We wrote like these one minute long songs uh, for people for about two and a half months. And there's, there's over a hundred of them. On, on- well, if you get, if you can do 101, you could write me for one for the kids are driving me crazy. And that would be great. <laughs> okay. Actually, you know, <laughs> There's there's a few people in the dead community that have that have gotten a song, you know, and Andy Logan. We did one for his son because uh, Hayden had was kind of had to quarantine for a couple of weeks, and so we did a we did a little song. We I'd heard that, so we did a little song for Hayden. Uh, uh, Andrew That's Logan, awesome. the guitar collector, we did one for his son. Yeah, yeah. We I just met him recently because he brought Alligator out for Jeff to play when we played at the Warfield in February. That's fabulous, man. How was that? Yeah. It was very, very cool. Definitely. He brought that and uh, a Martin acoustic that he had got that Jerry had played for years That's, and uh, uh-huh. got to use that one as well. So that it was really, what a nice guy too, man. Just he's salt of the earth kind of guy. He really is, you know, and uh, he, uh, he furnishes guitar players with guitars, Grateful Dead, you know, Jerry guitar players. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing he has going on, you know. That's the beauty of it with him. You know, he's, he's, he, he spent a lot of money mm-hmm. on these guitars, but he's taking them and making sure that they're getting played by the right people in public. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, it's a beautiful thing. And he's a great guy as well. Um, and he happens, and he happens, I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, but before we move no, on, the, uh, and he happens to be making the guitars with uh, Leo uh, Leo Elliott, who's who's from Dallas, he's an old friend of ours, and he's kind of become the Grateful Jerry guitar guitar maker. Yeah, he's he's from he's from Dallas. Yeah, I know who he is. He we have a mutual friend actually that I found out about a a, a girl that I've known my whole life who lives in Dallas, who's kind of in that scene, and she uh, introduced us to each other. Excellent. Sorry, to interrupt. Um, Go ahead, man. 
pre-pandemic, were you all planning with this new album coming out? Did you have plans to tour? Um, yes. Yeah, we did. You know, we were, we were definitely hoping to do a spring release and summer tour, but, uh, that that was already pushed back. It was kind of turning into a summer release, you know, but yeah, I think, you know, we planned on going out this fall for sure. But, uh, right. and at, at this point we do hope to tour next year. You, you know, that's until we, they well, say we can't. I hope when you do it, I hope when you do it and you come to my town, I'm home because I would love to be there. So I saw when I was reading about you, I saw you were from Ohio, but did, you grew up in Dallas, correct? I did. I was like five years old when uh, we moved to Dallas. Gotcha. And, and that's where you went to high school and everything. So do you remember, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember when you first heard the Grateful Dead? Well, uh, one of my earliest memories of, well, I probably couldn't, you know, it was probably a trucking or, you know, it probably was something more mundane, but like my first, like, you know, like, whoa, what's going on here? It was, I was pretty young. I was already playing guitar. I was like 11, maybe 12. And, uh, and, and this is very dorky, very nerdy guitar stuff, but, uh, my, I got a little hitch in my get along of my pinky and it kind of retracts while I'm playing. And I was just kind of checking out players and who uses their pinky. Who's a real player. You know, I was just like on this technique thing and like figuring out who they were, you know, who I respected as players. And there was, uh, the dead at radio city music hall, that acoustic and, yeah, uh, 1980. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up watching that. And uh, was really blown away by his playing. That was my first, and I ended up watching the whole thing. At the time, it wasn't music that was it was my favorite because I was you know, kind of a rush dude and into other things at the time. But I was like, this guy is a real player for sure. That's really interesting. So it's it's it was a particular player's technique that grabbed you and drew you into it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm a guitar player, and I was just that's what I was into at the time. I was like checking out what players were doing physically and and what they were doing playing wise and and the way he used scales and was beyond the pentatonic scale that that definitely piqued my interest in the way he was playing melodically and scalarly, if that's a word. <laughs> I, it, I, I love that because you know nothing against anybody, but the standard answers, if you will, that I get are I heard this song and it really drew me in or the lyrics really drew me in. I think it's really interesting to hear that it was actually the technique of somebody in the band that grabbed you and drew you into it. <laughs> and so at that point, do you, you start listening to more of the music that's not the acoustic stuff and, and, and grabbing onto it? No, you know, I, uh, I kind of continued, uh, I started going to high school where we all went to school, Booker T. Washington School of the Performing Arts in Dallas, and John, the percussionist, Brandon Ailey, the drummer, Edie, and I all went there and I was getting exposed to, you know, this is the eighties. I was getting exposed to jazz, you know, ska music, Miles Davis, Mahavishnu orchestra, King Crimson was the band for us at the time for beat and discipline those records. That's what we worshiped at the time. And then, so the dead weren't really around us in high school. And then after high school, but in high school, we learned how to improvise because there was, there was this group called Bio Lacerda that was, a group of classical musicians that improvised classical pieces like from scratch. And, and that used, that just captivated our interest. And we were improvisers. We would get together and completely free improvise and, and make struck and try to structureize like that. So we were already improvisers and, uh, and I had actually moved to Florida and I'm, and I was talking to some friends back in Dallas and I was talking to my buddy, John, I was like, so what do you listen to these days? And he goes, man, 
I'm pretty much only listening to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's weird. Uh, you know, because nobody only listened to one band. You know, we were just like eclectic for all. So I was like, well, that's a trip. And then my other friend, Kenny Stern, a drummer, also plays Grateful Dead music. And he uh, and he was the same thing. And everybody had turned was just listening to the dead only. So when I moved back to Dallas, that had already kind of started. Long story short, John became my roommate and he was the tape collector. So he just had dead. Gotcha. Yeah, he had dead on all the time. And one thing I do remember, and I'm not to go on and on, but one thing I do remember, because it would kind of be sort of backgroundish, and I, you know, I would jam. I like to jam along with dead stuff. But there was a he was playing a, a show. And they were in space and it was a current show. I didn't realize it. They were in space and it was a very, it was a very good show. And I was like, man, what year is this from? And he was like, this is from last week. And I was just, that blew me away. <laughs> I know. Cause I was just like, really? They freak out like this, like a stadium full of people. He's like, yeah, that's the dead dude. And I was like, okay. So, but the thing is, you know, if you like to improvise and you liked rock music coming out of the eighties, man, they were the only show in town so that's that it was the way sure. yeah so it was the improvising that drew me in and then eventually the songs you know completely engulfed me so that's that's my start yeah i mean at that point you know the the, the jam band scene doesn't exist yet the almonds aren't playing at that point that's right You're right it's 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 the dad that's it who's playing like that you're 100 percent correct so when you went where what age were you? you said you moved to florida for a while was that after high school or during high school it was. It was one year after. It was uh, the next year after high school. When you were in high school, you were doing that improv stuff. Is that pretty much what you were doing at that point? Yeah. It was just the improv music? Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. Pr- pretty much. I mean, I had there was, <laughs> I had some high school bands. You know, we had a band. So our group of friends in high school kind of, we ended up having a, a name. We were called Munch Puppies or Munchers. <laughs> Okay. For some reason, we would get hungry at times. I don't know what that. I don't know what that was from. You know, maybe right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, we're, so we were known as, and so it's kind of a, a collective of musicians, and uh, and we would get together, yeah, and and completely improvise and uh, and tape it. Always taped everything. We were obsessive about taping, even if we sit around talking. You know, just <laughs> obsessive around about taping. So we would, you know, so we, yeah, we were already into making crazy tapes and and. And improvising completely. Is any of that stuff still around? Do you have it? It is actually. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So then, so you moved back to Texas when? Uh, That was, that had to be in 83, maybe early. It had, it was, it was 84. Yeah. And then in 85, you joined the new Bohemians, right? That's right. Yeah. They had been together for about three months with another guitar player named Eric Presswood. And, uh, he had kind of a professional life on the side as a, an accountant. And so there was a division there and I ended up, you know, playing, I was actually there, you know, the second time ED sang with the band and they were sitting in on another band's equipment at the end of the night at a club and ED just got up to, you know, just improvise and just, you know, it's one thing to just like, you know, never sing with a band and sing a song or something. She just got up and made up, you know, literally made up a song and had never sang with a band before. And it was insane. And, and the comfort level was already there. She was comfortable being out there doing it, huh? Yeah, it's funny. You know, she didn't really, she didn't realize how killer it was. You know, she was kind of accessing this really high uh, falsetto and just kind of looking around like, doesn't everybody do this? You know, everybody's kind of like, mm, not really, no. And uh, 
but yeah, I told the band, I was like, man, you guys have to get her in your band or I'm, I, I might have to start a band with her, but it all worked out. I got to join the band. And yeah. It, it worked out really well. So you may have answered this and I may have missed it at that point. You know, the guys in the band and Edie don't know much about the grateful dead. Just you do at this point. John is the real deadhead. Uh, he, and he hadn't joined the band yet. But uh, so he was okay. He's not there yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. John joined a, a month after I did. We did a. <laughs> the reason he joined the band is because we did a, a gig with Bo Diddley, and and Bo Diddley would just show up with his guitar. And if you open for Bo Diddley, you were his band. So we were Bo Diddley's band, and we needed bongos. And uh, <laughs> and and so John was my roommate and was a percussionist. So he he kind of joined the band that night. It's a funny thing about that show. Uh, side note, you know, the Jerry, the, the classic Jerry tone for, you know, uh, estimated profit shakedown, the envelope follower right. sound, the walk of sound. Uh, right. He had a, all of his effects in his rectangle guitar, his box guitar. And so he just showed up and show me where a Fender twin is and I'll plug into it. And he had everything in there and he had a touch in his guitar and he had heard, wow. he had heard me use mine earlier and at one point we do a breakdown. He's talking to the crowd and he looks at me and he turns on that pedal and goes, waka, waka. And he, he points at mine and we do this whole like talking back and forth with the Jerry tone. And it just goes on and on. It was, it was a, it was a great moment. And uh, in fact, at the end of the night, you know, he was wearing a steely on his hat. I was like, man, steely, you like the Grateful Dead? And he goes, yeah, them's my boys. <laughs> and, you know, obviously in no way. Yeah. That's awesome. Did he, uh, I, I, I bet you had the same experience I did. I've been able to, well, I was able to back then, uh, kind of have the same experience playing with Chuck Berry and nice, you know, he comes, he comes without a band. You're his band. He expects you to know everything. And then he doesn't tell you what he's going to play and he doesn't tell you what key he's in. So you watch the guitar player and the bass player scramble in to see his hands and throw out the sign to everybody to let him know what key we're going to be in. And you all better be on it. And if you're not on it, you would get the dirtiest look from Chuck. But that's the way he worked. And it sounds like Bo Diddley was kind of the same way. I traveled by myself. The band will be there for me. I'll play the concert and I'll go. Nice. How did that go, man? Um, usually it went pretty well because the players I was with, you know, I'm just the drummer. So I didn't have to worry about keys and all that. Um, I better keep good time. But the, the, the players I was doing that with, you know, were pro guys here in St. Louis. And they knew what to expect. So it went really well. And, you know, I, I played with him. I backed him twice. And then I was playing with a, with a dead band that he sat in with one time as well. Um, that didn't go quite as well. But, <laughs> you know, as long as you're, as long as you got pro players and they're on their toes and ready to go, you know, it worked out okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really cool. Bo Diddley. So, okay, so now you're there. Um, I want to get into to some of the songs and the, the writing, you know, uh, you have writing credits on most of the tunes or a lot of the tunes anyway, on both shooting rubber bands at the stars and ghost of a dog, both of which I still have on cassette somewhere in a box, by the way. Nice. Um, I love both those albums. Thank um, you. You're doing a lot of the writing. Some of it's with the whole band. Some of it's just you. Some of it's you and Edie. Do you feel, or do you know the dead well enough at that point? Is it influencing your songwriting at all? Uh, Yes, it absolutely, it absolutely was, but not in a, not in a, we need to do that kind of way because, you know, I don't think you hear a lot of straight up 
dead chord progressions in what we do. You know, the dead are definitely more folk based. You can kind of hear more of that maybe in Ghost of a Dog and, and, and more currently, actually, where we kind of have we're not really doing the eighties voicings that, which are very sus and Andy Summers oriented. And right. like, you know, there was other things going on in the mix, but uh, in terms of the way we did a show though, because we're eighties an improviser, you know, and the reason we attracted deadheads is because, you know, the way we jammed is we would start playing us. We'd just make up a song. You know, if something felt good at the end of a song, I would, we would just, I would just start playing an idea and we would improvise uh, sometimes, you know, straight up song form or sometimes very long form. Edie can sing to most anything. And so the, imp- you know, the way they improvise and the way they approach the show is the way we did. I mean, even songs we had written sometimes could be fully realized a different way on a night, depending on what's up. And Edie was very good at that. And there's a song on the first record called Air of December. And uh, mm-hmm. Edie, uh, the whole end of that song didn't uh, wasn't there at, at one point. And uh, we were at the end of the song and, and it just stretched naturally. And Edie started singing that whole ending cadenza, which turned into this whole thing. And it just happened, you know, we didn't talk about stuff like that. You know, it, it was really only later on when we realized that not everybody did that, that we kind of, <laughs> you know, right. People telling you was, shouldn't do that even. <laughs> we're, was it the way you guys write is somebody writing lyrics and somebody writing music? You're doing it all together. Is Edie writing lyrics and you're writing music? How does, how does that process work for both of you and the rest of the band? Well, mercifully Edie, you know, writes all the lyrics. So, (laughs) which is is probably, (laughs) it's probably in good hands there, but, 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 uh, but Edie can, you know, she's written a musical, two musicals at this point. And uh, Edie is a full on musician with an amazing, amazing ear. And, you know, when she just sits with the piano, uh, she, the chord progression she just hears in her head are just, are just crazy. You know, I mean, uh, so she's a full on musician and definitely can present an entire song. So that would happen or her and I sit down alone together. Some things on the second record, Strings of Love was definitely us sitting down and, and just playing that and a song called Times Like This, some other things like that. And, uh, but a song called uh, The Wheel, which is our song, The Wheel, not right. like The Grateful Dead's The Wheel. And which is funny because it, it still says Edie doesn't even know that song at all. But she it's the wheel keeps on turning and turning. It has similar vibes to it. But that's just that's just a coincidence. That, since you've written since you've written that, have you played her the Dead's version of The Wheel so she could hear it? No, because I don't want it to get in her trip, you know. Right on, man. That makes sense. Sure. <laughs> I mean, she she might not want to play that song anymore or something, you know? Like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> I did what? <laughs> um, you touched on this a little earlier, but if, if you don't mind, I'd like to get back to it and into it a little more. You know, obviously, just on your playing style, Jerry had a huge influence, and you mentioned why. that, that That's what drew, drew, drew you into the dead was his playing. Can you expand a little bit more on what really appealed to you about his playing style? And then after that, can you tell me, you mentioned Rush and all that, but can you tell me specifically who some of your other guitar influences are? Sure, sure. Uh, well, my all-time favorite player is John McLaughlin. And and the the work he did with Miles Davis is it tends to be my some of my favorite. There's a record called Tribute, A Tribute to Jack Johnson, which is my favorite guitar playing 
maybe ever and stuff. So I, I love Miles Davis and that whole style of jamming. Miles Davis jamming is was you know a big base of the way we jam as well, as, including the dead. To me, those are like the two pillars of improv, improvisation. You know, between those two, the Grateful Dead and Miles Davis. But but Jerry's playing. You know, it's funny. We actually play a lot different. Uh, in terms of city, the, the way we play Jerry, uh, a lot of leading tones, you know, his Django Reinhardt influence really is in there mixed with his yeah. bluegrass and the accidentals. And, you know, he comes from that world. I, you know, I came from, I come from improvised more space. You know, I could, I could relate to the other one and some of the, you know, that kind of playing more than like the parlor kind of songs, you know, I had to really, you know, when I was, you know, I played in, you know, this, I played a band called forgotten space and played grateful dead music for quite a long time. And uh, that's the stuff I had to practice, you know, like the parlor kind of songs and that stuff didn't come as natural, but, uh, Interesting. but so we could, we play kind of different. I'm, I'm like out of the seventies and I kind of, if I have an idea, it's like, okay, here's the idea, Jerry way more subtle. And way more, I don't have to play this idea. I can make you feel it anyway. You know, Jerry's was the best at that. You know, he can kind of make your, your ear hear things he's not even playing, you know, with the spaces right. that he leaves and things like that. So that's, you know, I learned. That's straight out of the Miles playbook, man. You know, he's he's the famous, the famous quote, you know, Miles is, it's not the notes you play. It's a space that you leave in between them. Word. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so is, yeah. Is there- but, go ahead, go ahead, please. Well, uh, you know, my favorite Jerry playing is the record Live Dead, and uh, and we used to play that record uh, every time that we were hanging out with extra things going on. That was just ritualistic, you know. And so the big four: Dark Star, Saint Stephen, uh, uh, Love Light. You know that <laughs> from that record to me, you know that little journey influenced me massively you know just the sheer halcyon days of their, their energy of those halcyon days which is just like un- unbelievable and uh, so that definitely influenced me it's more like their energy and their approach than like you know we use this music right on. i want to ask you something about approach because you know with 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 the new with new bohemians you play with a drummer and a percussionist the time that you were in forgotten space or played with them, sometimes it was one drummer, sometimes it was two. Do you have to adjust the way you play according to what you have from a rhythm section? If it's one drummer or a drummer and a percussionist or two drummers, like, can you just do your thing no matter what? Well, it's just a different thing. It, it calls for a different thing. And, uh, I, I, I like playing with two drummers, especially if it's grateful dead music. And, uh, and, I just like the bed of subdivision that happens with two drummers and there's a lot more to choose from to play to as an improviser, you know? Right. on. I love that answer. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I'm going to jump around a little cause we were talking about that. You know, let's bring up forgotten space who one of my very good friends that I went to music school with Jerry Saracini's the drummer in, and I've had the pleasure of sitting in with them when you were back, when you were with them. Absolutely. How did you come to be, how did it come to be where you started playing dead tunes again, like in forgotten space? Um, that kind of happened organically. And there was a scene that started in the late eighties in Dallas, 
was a band called Wallstead. What a long, strange trip it's been. And they started doing some acoustic jamming at one little place that filtered over to a much bigger club. And there's, and this event started on Saturdays called the dead thing. And Wallstib used to play at this thing at this club. And it was huge. I mean, just, you know, another one of these, it's the, the dead are just, it's insane. You know, if, if you play the music, they won't come, you know, it's like such a thing, you know, even back then it still is like that. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I digress. It is still like that for sure. <laughs> but, you know, and it was a, it was an incredible scene and it was already going on and, and, uh, and, and I eventually did my time, you know, that was like different. It was a sliding scale, different rotating seats of musicians coming and going. So I did two different terms in that band. I did it for a few years. I moved to Seattle, came back and did a few more years. So I, I had been playing Grateful Dead music, but that band, the Grateful Dead was still around. So we didn't, you know, you played Grateful Dead music, but you didn't want to do it very much like the dead because you could see the dead, you know? Right. And so we kind of, you know, I wouldn't say we took massive liberties, but I didn't really learn the songs because I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to improvise on them. So I wanted to be like, I didn't want to know what the next chord was. And it just, you know, so I, and it was like that, you know, so, and then uh, some years later, there was a drummer, a friend, a friend of ours that uh, owned a club and he wanted to play some Grateful Dead music. And he invited Jerry Saracini, who I didn't know at the time. And uh, Bob McConville, the bass player for Forgotten Space, who is the resident, the bass player of Grateful Dead music in Dallas. He's, he is he's so good. He is Bob. <laughs> he's classic. But, uh, and uh, we, we spent an afternoon playing Grateful Dead music and, uh, there were some other players there as well. And that kind of became a thing. And sure enough, people started coming to that and it was a thing, you know, but we had some personnel issues where it was better to, what's the best way to say this? It was better to sort of break up and think of another name and become another band. <laughs> and that's what we did. And it became forgotten space. <laughs> and we kind of had the players that we wanted in, in the band. And that, that's how that. And you guys took that out of Dallas. I mean, you came here to St. Louis, you went to Chicago. I mean, I, you know, I played with Jerry during fairly well up in Chicago and, played with you when you were with him here at the old rock house. So you, you took that on the road. We did. And you know, we really should uh, credit Jerry Saracini for that, man. He, you know, got us out of, out of Dallas, you know, and we got to credit you guys. He's a friend of yours. And, you know, and, and you guys showed a way that you can do it. You guys were quickly on another level, but still you could show that you could travel and play and people want to hear it. And, you know, and every Grateful Dead band is slightly different and they're, the dead is so multifaceted. You can, you can do that. You can be, <laughs> you can just do that. There's so many, every band sounds kind of different. You guys are certainly the most dead and, and right on amazing. And, you know, okay. and, but uh, yeah, I really, I forget what the question was, but yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell a funny story about Jerry real quick. He knows it, but you know, we, we knew him. he and Dino, our other drummer played in a band together years ago when an original band, when Dino was still playing guitar before he was playing drums, you know, for, as a, he was doing it on the side, but not in bands, not for a living, if you will. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jerry and I went to music school together here in St. Louis. And that's where we met. And he was the cat. He was a year older than me, I think. And he was the cat who was so good. It's, you know, this, we were in the jazz program mm -hmm. and on, on recital days or combo days when all the combos would play. All I ever cared about was please let me be on before Jerry's combo. <laughs> I, don't don't make me play after him. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. I was so intimidated because he's such a good drummer in all aspects. And uh, I'm actually going to get him on the show one of these days as a uh, to talk about Forgotten Space a little more. Um, Great. I got a couple more things I'd like to ask you if you still got some time. Oh yeah, sure, man. Uh, 
And and one of them is, you know, we're, we're talking about Jerry and we're talking about the instruments and his tone, you know, when, you know, I didn't know you guys obviously when, when you broke in 88 with, with shoot, with shooting. And the first single is what I am. And immediately, as soon as you hear that guitar, you know, at that point I'm listening to nothing but the grateful dead. I've just gotten into it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm that guy you were talking about earlier. Who's just, just listening to grateful dead. And, and I hear what I am and I hear that tone and I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's got Jerry all over it. Was there, I mean, obviously I'm pretty sure that's the envelope filter kind of thing, right? Yeah. I was using, yeah. I was using the boss T word. Is there, is there a piece of gear or an, or an ax that you just had to have that, that you really wanted to be part of you because of Jerry or Bobby for that matter? Uh, not, not exact. Well, not till later. That did come eventually, <laughs> but not in early new boats because we really had our, we were, you know, what we considered our own world together. You know, that's what we were trying to do. And uh, it's funny that pedal, I had that one of those pedals. I, I didn't get it b- because of the Jerry tone, believe it or not. A friend of mine had joined the air force and his instructor in the air force was a bebop player. And he would play these insane fast bebop lines with the Jerry tone that was like, shred your head apart and i was just like i have to have one of those so i already had one of those pedals and people used to go dude that's jerry you know that's jerry i'm and i was like jerry you know i i knew what they were talking about (laughs) i was like okay okay it's jerry okay whatever but uh you know there you know the way that solo starts and it's kind of a loping you know jerry can groove when he's single note playing you know that's from that bluegrass and from that banjo playing you know his right hand he's freaking grooving you know even when he's playing single note stuff so that influence is straight up in the beginning of that you know you know i'm like i want it to be swinging and grooving and like melodic and be a thing so that was definitely an influence has has your tone and your gear has it evolved over the years i watched i looked at a bunch of videos the other night and it seemed like in every video you had a different axe in your hand (laughs) <laughs> that's a problem and with me has, has your gear and your, your tone even more more specifically than your gear evolved over the years in any particular way or a conscious effort to do that in recent years it, it has i mean i used a certain amp i use these music man uh amps that are they were very big in the 80s and well known then, but they have like and this is kind of nerdy, but I'll just talk about it. You asked. Uh, they they have solid state preamps in them, which is kind of a very high fidelity kind of sound. Which ended up sort of I didn't realize that Jerry kind of used the way he used power amps. It was a similar kind of thing. But anyway, uh, but I used those amps for quite a while, and I've kind of known for using delay and things like that. And so there definitely has been a couple different times where I'm like, I can do that already. What else can we do? In recent years, I'm I'm embracing uh, overdrive and uh, fuzz and distortion in a huge way because it's glorious. I kind of noticed that on the uh, on the single. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, that that was a great tune, by the way. I listened to it twice last night. It's really cool. Man, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it. Um, Actually, you know, and, it's funny that oh, just a little story about that song, just to preview the record a little bit. And this is a Grateful Dead influenced thing, so I, I I may as well share it. And I didn't realize until afterwards, actually. But we have a song on the record called uh, "Miracles," that's sort of a slow, not R and B. It's kind of psychedelic R and B, but definitely chill vibe, chill vibe. 
And, uh, and that kind of, uh, goes into this jam, into this instrumental that is pretty darn long. And it's this, this space, it's very meditative. It's a trance and it goes on for quite a while. And, uh, and that happened organically. We just kept overdubbing on it. And so we had this piece and it's like eight minutes long. We're like, man, what are we going to do with this? And and at the end of it, it just seemed like coming out of it needed to be the way that song starts. And and so so anyway, so the song into space, out into the up thing, that is like the Grateful Dead guided meditation. You know, that's the second yeah. set. You know, and <laughs> and that's what they. And to me, that's what their shows are. You know, that's the formula. Yeah. You know. You, you're you're saying hello the first set you know not that you can't jam there but the what the but the flow of the second set and that sort of i call it a guided meditation you know <laughs> it, I, I love that and, and i agree and like for us you know for me especially when i first joined dark star the first set was almost not that it wasn't anything you couldn't jam on it wasn't just as important but it was almost like my sound check just to make sure everything was working right I was feeling good about how we were playing. We were starting to get gelled, so we would be ready for the second set. Mm-hmm. You guys, uh, in 90, I know for at least two shows, was that it? But you guys opened for the Dead for a, a couple of shows anyway in the summer of 90, right? We did. We got to do RFK and Foxborough. Tell me about that. I saw the Dead at Foxborough the year before that, and they had Los Lobos opening, who's one of my all-time favorite bands in the world. Hell yeah. That was in 89, and then you guys did 90. What was it like, man? Just hanging, playing in front of that kind of crowd. Just whatever. Tell me something about <laughs> for the dead. In well, I mean, you know, I was scared to death, you know, a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we the first, you know, it's the first show. We come out and we play one song and, you know, it's like, cool. I got through that. I'm, you know, I'm not tripping out too bad. And I looked to my left and Jerry, God bless him, was really nice of him. He's like sitting there with his girlfriend with a cigarette, you know, leaning on a <laughs> – leaning on a, a case watching the show. I mean, he's like not right behind me, but he's standing there. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I tried to not, not, he was really great, but you know, I was young and, and uh, if I had it to all do over again, I would talk to him a lot more and I would just be a yeah. dork and just not be afraid to ask a ton of questions. You know, I was, but, but as an experience, it was really great. And the crowd was very, they were very kind to us considering, you know, we were in the way of the band they wanted to play, they wanted to hear, you know? <laughs> and uh, Jerry did pull me aside and he said, he said it was one of the best reactions. He was, he said it was, he said maybe better than sting. I was like, well, well okay. That's nice. We, we did a hard rain. We did hard rain's going to fall the Dylan tune and, th- and people really enjoyed that. That was a really good moment. That was off that movie soundtrack that you guys did that for born on the 4th of July. Yeah, we did do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that cassette as well somewhere in a box in the basement. And I probably bought that cassette because you guys were on it. I don't remember for sure, but that wouldn't surprise me. You are awesome. No, man, I was a big fan. You know, I really enjoyed it. You know, because one of the reasons was, well, first of all, the songs were great, but I was really drawn to a band that had a drummer and a percussionist. <laughs> right on. <laughs> you know, cause I, I, even back then before, I, and that's way before I was just getting into the dead. So I'm not play, playing Grateful Dead music yet. And I'm just learning how two drummers work together. Yeah. But already, I'm already drawn to those opposing textures working together. Sure. Yeah. You know, when you asked about the double single drummer, when uh, when Pablo was the second drummer in Forgotten Space, and when he left the band, it was just Jerry. We actually did a tour immediately. You you played with us on that tour. uh, Right. But uh, we did shows. You know, it was the first time to play with one drummer. And it was really, at the time, it was 
very fresh because we could sort of make these left turns. I'm not saying you could easier. And it probably was just the fact that we were listening more because it was a different setup and we were just keyed in on one another more than anything. But we were pretty darn nimble, you know, and it has its merits either either way for sure. But uh, I do like – like you're de- I, Go ahead. You're definitely right about that, but this isn't the first time that's come up. I was talking on a previous episode with Pete Lavazzoli, who plays in Crazy Fingers down in Florida, but also played drums in JGB for 10 years with Melvin. And he said the same thing, you know. Playing with two drummers is great, but you are definitely more flexible and can change directions faster mm-hmm. with one drummer. With one drummer, I mean, you're you're not the only person who said that. It's for it's because it's it's true for sure. Sure. Well, man, I I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Before I let you go, if you don't mind, we're going to do a quick lightning round. Try not to think too hard. You ready? That won't. That that should be easy. <laughs> uh, first Grateful Dead show. Houston, nineteen eighty-five. Favorite Grateful Dead show. Greeks, eighty-six. First day. Uh, studio recordings or live recordings? Live, totally. Okay. Favorite Dead album? I think you already told me. I think you answered this one earlier. Favorite Dead album? Yeah, it's going to have to be that one. Yeah, Live Dead. Yep. Um, out of my three interviews, you and you and Rob Baracco have both answered that the same way. Classic. Um, favorite non-Grateful Dead album? Whew, uh, I'm just going to say a tribute to Jack Johnson, Miles Davis. Okay. Favorite color? Purple. Mine too. Yeah. First job? Ashburn's Ice Cream is an ice cream store. All right. Favorite venue to play? Um, current or, uh, favorite, whatever. There was a place in Dallas called the Bronco bowl. That is no longer in existence. That was the shit. It was, they had bowling alleys and they had like archery. And then they had this big bowl where they used to have bowling tournaments, you know, very big Texas thing. And that venue was badass. Sorry. Lightning. Go ahead. Out of all the, all the venues you've played from big to small, from Red Rocks to Foxborough to that, that little place is your favorite venue of all time. That's really, really cool. <laughs> I haven't played, um, I, I haven't played uh, Red Rocks yet, man. That's bucket list, brother. You guys never played Red Rocks, really? Not yet, brother. I, I just assumed it. I apologize for that one. We better move on. Best city for a day off. San Francisco. All right. First car. A Chevy Chevette. Current car. A, a Mini Cooper. Chevy Chevette. <laughs> what, what are you going to say? Uh, Mini Cooper. You and Rob Baracco have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> You've answered a lot of the same answers, including that one. Uh, book you are reading right now. Uh, what the hell am I reading? It's... Uh, uh, I'm not reading a book right now. I'm just reading stuff online. Okay. It's not a book. Right on. And the first trip you're going to take when this madness is over and we can go out freely again. Uh, New York. New York. Yeah. I want to take my daughter there. She's, she graduated That's last year and and she deserves a trip to New York. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and giving us some insight, and, and I really enjoyed talking to you. I look forward to playing with you again one day. I looked it up to see when we first played, and it was at the House of Blues in Dallas when you came and played with us. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I remembered you being there and playing with us. I didn't remember what we played, and I looked at it, and it said, you played for the Encore. It was Not Fade Away into Who Do You Love back into Not Fade Away. And that I would have to check, but in our 20 years, that might be the only time we ever played Who Do You Love. I love it. I'm not 100% sure, but if if it's not the only time, it's one of a very few. And uh, that was a big, fun night for me getting to play with you, and I'm glad we've gotten to do it a few times since then. And uh, looking forward to doing it again one day when we can all start traveling again, my friend. Absolutely. Good on you, Rob, for doing this. And, uh, man, I, I love you guys. I've loved playing with you every time. And, yeah, man, St. Louis, are you sitting in with us? Dude, you're, you're a total classic, and I love you guys, man. Thank you for doing this. Good on you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's Kenny Withrow, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. I would like to thank Kenny Withrow and Lee Owen for taking the time to be here, and I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, and The Authenticity Academy for all of their support. I'd also like to point out to you all that the opening and the segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. He's putting uh, together an album of it all, and he should be releasing a bunch of it very soon. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team of Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. I'd like to make one last reminder to head over to www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays and become a subscriber to the music plays the band podcast. We have a few different subscription levels and a lot of fun things planned as companion content to each episode. I will be back again in two weeks with episode number four featuring drummer Vinny Amico of the band Mo. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We need to get live music back out there as quickly as possible, and we need everyone's help in making that happen. Thanks for being here. People joining hand in hand while the music plays the band. Louisville sitting us on fire. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.